1991, uh, the city of Los Angeles was going through some crazy times of riots. You remember that? And uh, it all started with a, a captured on film of a, like a, a police brutality thing of a guy named Rodney King. And it, it, it started this just wave of back and forth, um, you know, beatings and horrible stuff was happening. That was some rough times. And uh, Rodney King, after he had still had all his bruises and swollen, was on TV. And he made famous a very, very a statement. And he said, can't we all just get along? Remember that? Some of you are like, I wasn't born yet. But the rest of us, I remember that. I, be, I remember being marked by that. Can't we all just get along? And it was haunting then, and that still haunts, you know, our country today. Haunts, all, you know, where, where we're at. There's still tensions. Can we all just get along? But to make it real practical for us in this room today, that haunts marriages. Can't we just get along? That haunts families, friendships, classmates. Can't we just get along? It haunts churches, sad to say. Can't we just get along? You can have all the money, all the success, all the things that we think we need for happiness, but when relationships are strained and you're not getting along, it's hard to function. You figured that out. It is hard to function when relationships are strained. We need wisdom. We need wisdom for our relationships. Often, we act in such a way in trained behavior that needs to be untrained, where we provoke the exact opposite out of somebody of what we want, of what a relationship actually needs. We need wisdom. Um, we need to learn to be peacemakers and not peacetakers, right? We're either peacemaking or we're peacetaking. So we're in this series called Down to Earth Faith, where we're going just section by section through the, the letter of James to James wrote this letter to a group of people that uh, needed to understand the practical part of what faith was about, what it meant to really follow Jesus, to um, not just have it be some theological thing, but something that was lived out in our hearts and to live by faith. James was the half-brother of Jesus, and so he, you know, he didn't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. But after the resurrection, Jesus had such mercy on him, and he made him one of the, the leaders in the early church. You can read a little bit more about him in Acts chapter 15. But James is such a practical book. It's a book of, of wisdom, of how to, how to live out our Christian faith. In the Old Testament, you have Proverbs and you have Psalms. Those are part of the wisdom books. Um, Psalms teaches us how, how to get along with God. It's, it's our upward relationship with, with God. Proverbs teaches us how to get along with one another, how to get along in life practically. Well, many people have said about James that it's kind of the, the Proverbs of the New Testament because it gives us such practical wisdom. We're going to pick it up in verse 13 of chapter 3 and uh, from where we left off last week. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. 
such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Every day, you and I are sowing seeds into our relationships, either positive or negative, good or bad. We're sowing seeds of peace, sowing seeds of of self-confidence, sowing seeds of security into our relationships, or we're sowing anger, selfishness, insecurity into our relationships. There's no way around it. The Bible over and over talks about the law of sowing and reaping. And so our lives, we're either sowing to good or we're sowing to bad. And the law of sowing and reaping is, is pretty easy to summarize in the sense that if you take you know, a garden or a farmer or whatever, if they plant carrots, they're not going to get potatoes. If they plant radishes, they're not going to get cabbage, right? You, you, what you sow is what you're going to grow and what you're going to harvest, what you're going to reap. And the law of sowing and reaping is this too. The more I plant, the more I will harvest. The more seeds that I plant, the more I, I will harvest. And so in our lives and in our relationships, the more good that we're planting, the more good that is being sown, the more good that we're going to reap. The more bad that's being sown in our relationships, the more bad we're going to reap. That's just the law of sowing and reaping. Often in our relationships, we've, we've sown bad things into our relationships. And like farming, sometimes it just takes time. We don't see what's going on underneath the ground and the seed germinating. And then one day, boom, it, it, it pops up. And sometimes when we've been sowing negative things into our relationships, we start praying for crop failure. Like, I would just hope this doesn't grow anymore, but it doesn't work like that. So whether you're married, you're a parent, your your relationships with your kids, kids to parents, friendships, classmates, whatever it is, the law of sowing and reaping is just true. And so a couple things I want you to write down. First of all, it takes godly wisdom to get along with others. Godly wisdom to get along with others. Wisdom is not IQ. Wisdom in this sense is not your, your intelligence. It's more of your relational intelligence, not your mental intelligence, but your relational intelligence. Wis- this kind of wisdom, godly wisdom, is godliness in character and how it influences relationships. That's the wisdom that we need. We need godliness and character that influences our relationship. Proverbs 4, 5 um, says, get wisdom, get understanding. In other words, wisdom is the number one priority of our life. Get wisdom. If you want to know how to get along with people, you want to get a, know how to do life, the number one thing that you and I need is to get wisdom. So where do we get this wisdom? How do we get it? Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Keep that scripture up just for a second for me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord 
is to stand in awe of who God is. It's to stand in, in such a way that we realize how vast and awesome he is. But that word fear kind of gives a little weird connotation to it. Does God want us to be afraid of him? Well, there is a sense that maybe we should be afraid of God and understanding who he is and his holiness and all of that. You bet. But God doesn't want his children as father to just be afraid. He wants us to understand who he is. In, in Psalm 130, verse 4, he's, it, David says, With you there's forgiveness, therefore you are to be feared. Think about that. With you, God, there's forgiveness. Therefore, I fear you. Therefore, I stand in, a, in amazement. I stand in awe of who you are. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So the more we know about God, the more we respect about God, the more rightly you and I think about God, the wiser we're going to be, and the wiser we're going to be in our relationships. Second part of this is what, what is wisdom? Let me give you kind of a, a definition. Wisdom is knowledge with understanding. Stay there for a second. You can have a lot of facts in your mind. You know, you have all these facts and, and information. But until those facts and information move to an understanding of how something really works, then you just have head knowledge. But to move in wisdom is when it moves from our head into our heart and through our actions. So wisdom is knowledge with understanding. But here's the key. I like this definition. Wisdom is seeing and understanding life from God's perspective. It's seeing life from God's perspective. If I don't have God's perspective of life, if somebody doesn't have God's perspective of life, they're left to themselves to figure out what life's about, right? And that's what a lot of people are trying to do. They're trying to figure out what is life about? What are my relationships for? Why do I get married? Why do we have kids? What, what if, you know, all the things that questions that we just kind of can go through the motions unless I have God's perspective of what life is about. If I don't have God's perspective of life, we're going to think that life is about us. Life's about me. Life's about, you know, earthly wisdom. We're going to put our hope in the wrong things if we don't have God's perspective. And that's my prayer for all of us in this room, is that your hope would not be in something that can be taken away. Being married is a great thing. Having children and raising children is a great thing. Having a career and, and, and all of that, those are fine things. But when our hope is in those things, those things can be taken away like that. God wants us to have his perspective. When you have his perspective, when suffering comes in life, physical suffering, relational suffering, loss of some sort, if you don't have God's perspective of life, then you have no room for suffering in your worldview. But when you see life from God's perspective, you realize that the, lot, the time I spend on this earth is really short to start with. And the promises of the Bible and the promises of the gospel have so much to do with the life to come. Of course it affects this life, but Jesus never said this life was going to be easy, did he? He actually said in this life you're going to have trials and sorrows of many kind, but take courage, I've overcome. So often we're caught off guard when we go through difficulty, but we shouldn't be. 
We should expect it and then have his perspective of how God is going to work these things for good in our lives. Second thing is walking in godly wisdom is an ongoing process. It's a process. Wisdom is sought after. Like we seek it by reading the Bible. We seek it by, by asking for it and so forth. But it's also learned. You just learn wisdom by, by, by life itself. We learn wisdom. It's developed by trial and error. You know, the older you get, the more you realize, man, I should, I should stop doing this and I should start doing that. And, and it's developed to learn, especially in the area of, of relationships. And in our lives, I think, you know, we, we talk about if you want to be wise, hang out with wise people. Phil and Sharon were up here this morning. I would never call them old. They're seasoned, right? And when you're older, you're seasoned. You've been seasoned by life. And they've been through life. They've been walking with Jesus for a long time. I want to hang out with them. I want to know what they did wrong and what they've done right and where God is working in their life today. If you're a young couple in this room and you're figured out that marriage is not easy, then hang out with a couple who's been there, done that, and worked through issues and difficulties. Don't try to do this on your own. It's never going to work. And then thirdly, lack of wisdom causes serious relational problems. That's what James is talking about here. Lack of wisdom causes serious relational problems. And what I'm trying to do right now before we get into the nuts and bolts of the text that we read is to lay a foundation to uh, interpret this correctly, to have proper application for all of this. James said, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, look at your heart right now. Is there jealousy and selfish ambition? You bet there is. Don't deny that. To some degree, there's jealousy and selfish ambition that is causing disorder in your life. And it ultimately, that disorder shows up in relationships. Earthly wisdom says this. This is what James was talking about. Earthly wisdom says, win this argument at all cost. You, you got to win this argument. You're right. Win this argument. I'd make you raise your hand if you could relate to that, but I don't want you to expose yourself this morning. <laughs> Earthly wisdom says, get yours. Fight back. Stand up for yourself. That's what earthly wisdom says. But the wisdom from above says no. That doesn't mean be a doormat. It means have boundaries. But it doesn't mean we retaliate. It means we learn how to walk in wisdom. So I would say this this morning. If you're going to get the most out of the next 15 minutes that we have together, maybe 20, 15 to 20 minutes, I want to ask you a question. Is there disorder in your relationships this morning? Is there chaos in your home? Is there chaos at work with coworkers? Is there chaos at school and with your friends and your classmates, students? If there's disorder, let's tune in. You and I need heavenly wisdom. And, and Paul said something, the Apostle Paul said something amazing in Romans 12. It's not on your notes. But he said, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. 
as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. So your responsibility is try to pursue peace at all, in all situations with everybody. So what he's saying is you're responsible for you. You're not responsible for everybody else's behavior. You're responsible for, for your behavior. If you will take responsibility, as we talked about last week, for the words that come out of your mouth, if you'll, what we're talking about this morning, if you'll take responsibility for your action God, and then let God begin to work through you, watch what he'll do. doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Getting along is hard. How many have figured that out? There's a lot of practice in learning how to get along. Peaceful people have practiced living at peace and being peacemakers. You don't wake up and be a peacemaker. Watch little kids hang out. Find out who's a peacemaker or peacetaker. We are born by nature to be peacetakers because we got to get ours. Give me that toy. Give me this. Give me that. And it works its way into adult behavior. So I believe James gave us in that text that we read, James gave us six wise commitments to live by. Six wise commitments to live by. In verse 17 and 18, he says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Here's the first commitment that if you're going to get along and have wise relationships, is I will not compromise my integrity. You're going to have wise relationships. You have to make a commitment today that says, I will not compromise my integrity. The word integrity means whole, means true to the original. Jesus walked with the utmost integrity, perfect integrity, only person to ever do that. But he was a person of wholeness, true to who he was. Because James says that wisdom is pure. Wisdom is pure. Something in the interesting part is the Greek word there for pure is the same word for integrity. Those two words are interchangeable. And so it means authentic. It means uncorrupted. Wisdom is authentic. Wisdom is, is uncorrupted. And I think it's important for us to understand that relationships are built on trust. If we can't trust each other, what kind of relationship are we going to have? Therefore, a commitment to keep our integrity is a commitment in our relationships and in life that I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be deceitful in my relationships no matter what. Sometimes we lie and we're deceitful because we don't want to get in trouble. We don't want to face consequences. It's inconvenient. All that can come from that. But wisdom would say, don't ever, ever, ever compromise your integrity. Proverbs 10.9, people with integrity walk safely. They walk safely. How much relationship strife comes from a lack of integrity? Somebody broke your trust or you broke somebody's trust. No wonder there's chaos. Now, that is not condemnation. That's wisdom to live by. That's all of us. We've broken someone's trust. They've broken our trust. Bring in the gospel. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He died for the things that have broken trust in our lives. Never, ever, ever forget that. 
But this proverb about people with integrity walk safely, I was thinking, you know, you don't have to worry if you've covered your tracks if you're walking with integrity. You don't have to worry if you've uh, cleared out the history on your internet browser if you're walking in integrity. Well, no, I didn't, but I did. That goes for all of us. We, we can walk in a peace, and we walk safely because we're walking in integrity. All of us are going to have to continue to grow in this, but don't compromise your integrity. Second commitment is, I will not antagonize the anger of others. Some of us are good at antagonizing the anger of others. We're either peacemakers, peace takers, or peace fakers. And I thought about this when I thought about a peace faker. Uh, years ago, when I was 20 years old, I, I worked at a transmission shop, and I was the parts driver slash gopher. And one day they told me to go to the back part of the transmission shop and get a tool or whatever. And I walked back there, and um, if you're a person who loves chow dogs, don't get offended. I'm just telling a story here. Um, so ch chows have this instinct about them as, as guard dogs that they don't, boom, show you a, a attack posture like other dogs will do. They kind of look at you with a smile like, what are you doing back? Come on in. I'd like to show you around. As soon as you turn your back on a chow, that's, a, that, 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 that's when they come after you. And I walked in and I saw this chow and I was like, nice doggy. Um, kind of walk a little bit closer. He kind of went, you know, he's holding, talking under his breath. Yeah, come a little closer and turn your back on me. I can't wait till you turn your back. And I grabbed whatever it was. I had no idea. And I turned and all of a sudden, da, 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 he was nipping at my heels the whole way until I finally got to the gate and shut it. <laughs> Still have nightmares about chows, man. Because they're peace fakers, man. They look you in the eye and they're like, hey, yeah, come on in. And as soon as you turn your back, that's when they get you. We don't want to be like that. We want to be peacemakers. And, uh, and because James says that wisdom is peace-loving. Peace-loving does not antagonize or fake peace. It doesn't antagonize the anger of others. Proverbs 23, any fool can start an argument. The honorable thing is to stay out of them. Ouch. Any fool can start an argument. The honorable thing is to stay out of them. Some people are, are professional arguers, you know, not lawyers, but I guess they could be. You're kind of arguing your case. Uh, George Carlin, he said, he, one of his jokes, he said, the other night I ate at a really nice family restaurant. Everyone, every table had an argument going off. It's a nice family restaurant. You get that? Where's Steve when you need him? Proverbs 14, 29, a wise man controls his temper he knows that anger causes mistakes. How true is that? Three things, three unwise things that cause, antagonize anger out of other folks. Um, comparing. If you're talking with somebody, you're in a relationship, you're in conflict, and you say, why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like your sister? Why can't you be like so-and-so? You just antagonize, you know, anger out of someone's life. They're not, that's never going to work. Words of condemning that, that, are, that bring blame and shame when you, hey, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. That's going to antagonize anger. You're so dumb. Oops. You're shaming someone for where they're at. And then combative words. 
when we interrupt one another when we're having conflict or, or some sort of argument, when you're interrupting or you're trying to intimidate, be louder than the person you're talking to, it's never going to get you what you're trying to get at. Third commitment is this. I will not minimize the feelings of others. Sometimes we say things like when we're frustrated and somebody shares their feelings, we say, you shouldn't feel like that. We've all said that. You shouldn't feel like that. But the truth about feelings are feelings are not right or wrong. They're just what somebody's feeling. It's, it's, it's neutral. And so we have to learn not to minimize the, the feelings of others because wisdom is considerate, James says. Wisdom is considerate. It's inconsiderate to minimize somebody's feelings. We've got to remember that the goal in, in conflict resolution, the goal in resolving our conflicts cannot be to be right. If your goal is to be right and to prove you're right in a conflict, I don't care if it's marriage, family, work, friendship, it's not going to get you anywhere if that's your goal. Nor is the goal of conflict resolution agreement. Most of our conflicts in our relationships, we want someone to agree with us because we're so passionate about what we feel. If the goal is agreement, that's that's never going to work. How about husbands and wives? Husbands and wives always have different values when it comes to money. She spends money on something, and you're thinking, what did you spend on that for? Well, it was a value to her. He spends money on something. Did we really need that? Did you really need that? And so there's a tug of war of value that if you try to get to a place of agreement, you're just going to spin your wheels. The goal is understanding. Try to, uh, you don't have to agree to understand someone's feelings or understand their point of view. That's considerate, and that's walking in wisdom. Proverbs 15.4, kind words bring life, cruel words crush your spirit. Do you allow your, your coworkers, do you allow your spouse, you know, to have a worse day than you or to be more tired than you? Somebody might say, man, I had a rough day. You have no idea about a rough day. Here's what happened to me. Well, that's not considerate. That's not wise. I'm so tired. No, I'm really tired. And let me tell you why. I mean, it just never works that way. Fourth commitment is I will not be closed-minded or closed-hearted. If you want to get along, don't be closed-minded and closed-hearted. Don't criticize others' suggestions of you or their point of view. That's being open-minded and open-hearted. What that really means is what James says is wisdom in relationships is submissive. We're submissive. Wise people are open to reason. Wise people are reasonable people with open minds and open hearts. Wise people in relationships realize they don't know everything about everything. Proverbs 12, 15, a fool thinks he needs no advice, but a wise man listens to others. I had thought about this. Can people make suggestions to us about life? Can someone at work make a suggestion to you when you think or know that you know more about whatever it is than they do? Isn't that the worst? I can be so prideful in this area. If I think I know something, and then somebody who maybe doesn't know 
as much, makes a suggestion, it's easy to, for all of us to just go, okay, who do you think you are? Like, we pull out our pedigree or whatever on that. I remember years ago, my very first mission trip I took, we went to El Salvador. And it was my first mission trip, first trip I ever led, 1996. And um, it was a tough trip. Like, the, the city turned off the water, and so we didn't have running water for two weeks. And it was hot and miserable. Everybody got sick, and it was crazy. Don't let that deter you from going on a mission trip. But um, we, we flew to Houston. I mean, we drove a school bus from Denver to Houston and then flew from Houston to El Salvador and back and then got picked up by a school bus and taken back to Denver. So by the time we got back to Houston on that last leg home, I was done. I was over it and spent, and I kind of sat in the front of the bus and checked out. And this little 15-year-old girl came up to the front of the bus. She said, um, Scott, uh, I feel like God wants to tell you that this trip isn't over yet, and there's still a lot that he wants to do, and for you to kind of check back in, and that's all. And, you know, <laughs> I sound like Wayne's World, that's all, eh? but she... And I was like, I had a choice there. Was I going to say, okay, 15-year-old girl? And I was convicted, and I tuned back in, and God did some other amazing things on that trip. So be submissive. It takes wisdom to receive correction without taking it personal. Fifth commitment, I will be quick to forgive and not emphasize others' mistakes. I'll be quick to forgive and not emphasize others' mistakes. If you want to walk in wisdom and have wise relationships, be quick to forgive and don't emphasize others' mistakes. We don't need each other's judgment. We need each other's encouragement, right? Especially when we, when we blow it. We often have higher expectations of others than we do ourselves. You ever caught that? Like, Everyone loves to receive mercy when we've done something. But when something's been done to us, it's hard to give mercy. God wants us to remember that wisdom is full of mercy. Wisdom is full of mercy. Be good at overlooking the faults and irritations of others. Proverbs 17, 9. Love forgets mistakes, nagging about them, Tears apart the best of friends, parts the best of friends. Learn to let stuff go. 1 Corinthians 13 says that that love keeps no record of wrongs. Don't keep score, in other words. I uh, I printed off a a little score sheet for basketball. Like if you just were at a basketball game. What a score sheet does is you write down the player's name and how many fouls, how many points, what they do. And at the end, you have a reminder of what happened in that game. That's what a score sheet is. You and I tend to have these in our hearts towards people. Oh, you said that about me. Oh, you didn't do the dishes when I asked you to do them. You fill in the blank, right? Love keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't keep score. Thank God he does not keep score about you and I. So what we need to do is take our little score sheets, crumple them up like God did for us on the cross. Don't keep score. Last commitment is this. 
I'll be honest about my own personal faults and weaknesses. You'll be honest. If you want to have wise relationships, if you want to get along, don't try to pretend like everything's great when it's not. Don't try to be somebody that you're not. Because he says wisdom is impartial and sincere. The word for sincere means without hypocrisy. Back in the Bible times when they would do theater, the actors were called hypocrites because they would come out and they would, they would wear one mask for one scene, go back, come back and wear another mask on another scene. And so literally, hypocrisy, to, to be without hypocrisy is to be without masks, to not wear masks. We wear masks, so to speak, to cover up. I don't want you to see the real me. If you see the real me, you might not like me or you'll see my failures or, or we wear masks to try to make people see us in a different light. Let's be honest. If you're a dad today and you're struggling, say, I'm struggling with this whole dad thing. I need help. If you have a habit, I'm struggling with this habit. I need help. Be sincere. Own up to your own personal faults and weaknesses. Let's be honest. That's hard for us to do. It goes against our, our nature. It goes against our, our pride. Proverbs 28, 13 says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they'll receive mercy. We need honesty and transparency to help us get along. If somebody in your life you're struggling with takes this to heart, a spouse, a kid, a parent, whatever it is, and says, listen, I've blown it. Let me be honest. I'm not doing a good job at this or I'm struggling here. Please don't shut them out. Give them an opportunity. Show forgiveness. Because, I, you know, if, if somebody were to show you that they're honestly sincere, like God says he would never turn away a repentant heart in Psalm 51. Nor should you and I ever turn away someone who's in repentance. That doesn't mean you don't have boundaries and all that goes with that. I get that. But in 95% of the things that, that are going to require this, should be easy for you to help somebody in the middle of that. So today, if you've never given your life to Christ, today's the day. Hand the keys of your life over to the Lord Jesus. You're a sinner, but he's a better Savior. And he came to live a perfect life and to die on the cross and to be raised from the dead so that we could be right with God. So you, by faith, come to him. Let him change your life. Give your relationships to him. If today's God's been, you know, convicting you, conviction is always a good thing. It means we're, we're actually, our hearts aren't hard towards God. We can sense him, but act on the conviction. Let him lead. Make these six commitments to walk in wise relationships. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. If today you're willing to make those commitments in your life, I just want you to just put your hands out in front of you as a posture of humility before the Lord. I want to pray, and then we'll go from here this morning. Father, see our hands. They're empty. We release all of our guilt to you, Lord Jesus. We release all these struggles, and we 
empty-handed come to you and say, we need wisdom to do relationships and to do life. Work your power in and through us. Lord, that we have relationships that bring you glory. Father, where there's angst and turmoil and struggles in marriages and families and parents and friendships and the workplace. Give us the courage, give us the faith to exercise your word. 